I was completely blown away at such a young age by the city. I loved it so much. I felt so close to my dreams there. It was in kind of that moment that I realized life at home kind of sucks, but everything's good in Nashville. That propelled me forward for quite literally the rest of my life. I never really seemed to waver on that goal. Hello and welcome to Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vinson, and in this show I interview young entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals in all different areas. And for this interview, I actually traveled to Nashville, Tennessee to interview my guest, Heather Carpenter, who works for Universal Music Group in their downtown office. And this was a really awesome interview, but unfortunately I lost the files for the camera that was recording on me. So you'll see Heather in the actual original interview that we recorded, but I'm just going to recreate the questions on my side here out of the studio. So without further ado, let's get into it. In case you're wondering why I'm wearing this cowboy hat and donning a mustache for this interview, it was out of Nashville and I kind of just wanted to play the part. Yeah, you fit right in. Thank you. Well, Heather, thank you so much for having me for this interview. Yeah, really excited to be on. Let's get started. Cool. So Heather, you work for Universal Music Group, but there was a lot in your career leading up to that. Let's go ahead and start with how you got into music in the first place. Yeah, so I guess I'll start back with my freshman year of college. I chose Florida State University because they had um, a very small, kind of rare program that not many people in Florida know about, but it's this group called Club Down Under. Um, Club Down Under slash Union Productions. So essentially the way I explain it to people is Union Productions is kind of a branch under student activities okay. where it's a group of programmers, of PR, of production assistants, and um, hospitality. And we basically work, although we are students, we are paid and have offices in the Florida State building where we go and plan different events for students. So the whole goal behind it is for students by students. So the university puts a decent amount of funding into it so students can have these safe events on campus. And when I found out about it, um, I immediately was so interested because Club Down Under in and of yeah. itself is... Sounds very exclusive, by the way. Yeah, it, it kind of was. It was a very intensive interview process and a lot of people apply every year and... Um, I'm so grateful to have been selected for the opportunity. I mean, it was great, and it kind of set me up for the rest of my career. But um, Club Down Under is actually a club at Florida State University that was kind of built underground in the 40s. It's underneath the student union. Which is pretty uncommon in Florida. Yeah, extremely uncommon. So it's kind of like a weird basement area that all of these kids just started going to, and they'd drink, they'd play music, they'd do comedy shows, like literally whatever. And eventually the university caught wind of it and was like, you know, this is actually a pretty good idea because mm -hmm. Florida State's already such a party school. Why don't we just keep our kids on campus where we can watch over them and keep them safe? So they started just funding the club. They built it out. It became Club Down Under because it was underground. And then as the years went on, it became above ground mm -hmm. and um, more of a legit thing. It started... Um, Less susceptible to floods, probably. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, you know, kind of got in with student activities. And um, I interned as a programmer for my entire freshman year. The fall semester of my freshman year, I 
interviewed for special events coordinator and got the position and did that until I graduated college. So as special events coordinator, I was in charge of planning five plus large scale events each year, including Spring Fling, which was Florida State's like biggest event next to homecoming. So that was at least when I left UM or not UMG, when I left Club Down Under. Um, I was working on Spring Fling with this guy named Josh Reiner, who was our programming director at the time. And he had this internship with 1824, which is Universal's national college team, essentially. Um, and I'll get a little bit more into that in a second. But I met with Josh. We were working together on Spring Fling, which ended up having about 8,000 attendees. It was wow. a $120,000 event. We had Trippy Red headline. And I've seen Trippy live. He's pretty awesome. Yeah, he was he great. He on a hell of a show. It was awesome. But while Josh was working with 1824 and UMG on the music side of things, I was doing the Florida State side of things. So I booked a Ferris wheel, a zip line, different food trucks and things like that. And you're still a freshman in college at this point, or this is a little later into college? At this point, I was a junior. Okay. Um, my freshman year, again, you have to intern before they will hire you. So freshman gotcha. year, I was just interning. And then once I got that experience, they kind of just give you this budget and you just run and you basically only deal with adults with degrees for approval processes and contracts and things like that. But beyond that, I was the only one in communication with these vendors and kind of making it all happen. So that had everything to do with, you know, creating the day of show um, or run of show and um, just plotting out the land, like figuring everything out. I mean, it was a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, it was a very intensive event planning process, but and it ended up being a huge success of an event. And um, through that, that's kind of how I got connected with 1824 since those representatives had flown down for this event since it was kind of big. And so like Frank Hill and Todd Goodwin came in from California, um, where UMG's headquarters is in Santa Monica. So they came down to Tallahassee, Florida to see the spring fling that Josh and I had put on. Do they come to that every year or was this like a no, special that occasion? Was, yeah, that was the only time actually. That's awesome. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool, but they were very impressed and um, Josh had recommended me for his position. So the way that 1824 works is you're in 1824 for as long as you're in college essentially okay. so they try to bring you on when you're like a freshman or sophomore think of it kind of like sorority rushing or fraternity mm -hmm. rushing okay. so like you want to get in when you're a freshman sophomore and then you have the opportunity to work your way up into higher positions while you're there if you do a good job it leads into the next step and the next step so exactly kind of the same thing um josh ended up recommending me to take his job while he was graduating um because it is kind of up to the person who is graduating and moving on to recommend somebody else cool. to take that role because the way 1824 works on a national level is our managers are in Santa Monica, Nashville, and New York. And those are the three main offices. Correct. Yeah. So those are the three main like headquarters for UMG. And then it's like, I keep saying national, it's literally a national remote internship job position where we are paid hmm. hourly and there's one major representative per major city. Okay. So Josh was the Tallahassee, Florida rep, which is actually no longer a position, sadly. Um, but there is, you know, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Orlando, there's now a Tampa rep, there's a Jacksonville and there used to be a Gainesville. Wow. So those are just in Florida, but there's only one per city. So as you can imagine, pretty competitive 
it was a four-part interview process, which included um, a random email coming to you on a Friday, and you're given a song of random choice and essentially have to create a marketing plan within 48 hours Wow! with minimal information. So the song that I was given was Lil Baby by Danny Lay. And I ended up creating like, I think a 38 page comic book themed designed on Photoshop. Wow. PowerPoint essentially where I broke everything down. And at this point in the game, I had no idea what marketing marketing was at all. Mm -hmm. So I actually probably should have mentioned this from the get go, but I was a recreation tourism and events major in college with a double minor in commercial entrepreneurship and hospitality management. And then through recreation, tourism and events, I had a focus on special events. So kind of a mouthful, Mm -hmm. but it sounds perfectly set up for what you do now. Yeah. Was that all by design or was it kind of just, I'm good at these things and know I could do well in them. So I'm going to pursue them. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty much it. Like I found out about club down under and sorry if I'm getting away from myself in this question here, but the reason I even brought that up is club down under was the event planning group on campus, but that also included all of the concerts, all of the lectures, all of the comedy, like basically anything, but keyword bold underline concerts. Mm -hmm. So we had relationships with all of the venue managers in town. We would book our shows, not just at club down under, but also the bigger venues, including the moon in Tallahassee, the Wilbury, things like that. And through that, we would have to not only work in the office and like plan our own events, but it was part of the job to staff events as well. So I worked train concert. I got to meet Ali and AJ and Mitski. And I'm like trying to think of car seat headrest. Like there was just some of the most incredible bands coming through and it was all very small and it was just a great experience that really opened my eyes to the world of live music. Mm -hmm. And so I always knew that I loved music and I always knew now that I loved event planning through my different experiences in school. So when I had kind of approached my senior year of college and I finished college in in two and a half years. So it gets kind of while doing all of this work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it gets kind of confusing, but like my, sometimes I'll say my senior, junior year, it was all 2020. So I got to work at different venues, do live events. And as I was saying, kind of not only made me realize how much I loved working in the music industry, but also the event planning and like the live event side and how, how much fun it is to be behind the scenes, like making everything happen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like from that kind of perspective, you really get to see all of your hard work in very tangible ways. So when a big event goes off as planned and is successful, it's got to just feel incredible. Like the one you mentioned before in Tallahassee just sounds awesome. There's nothing really like it. Mm -hmm. I don't like, it's just such a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. And especially if it's a fun event, like the spring fling that I had planned, like, just incredible. Like it's so much fun when you get to just run around and you get to see all of these people whose lives you've touched by just creating something that everyone can go and enjoy and um, relax, have fun. Now on the day of, are you just insanely nervous as you're walking around or are you kind of just like, I did it, I prepared everything, I'm gonna let it go? You know, my first few events, I was absolutely terrified and I think with anything really, I mean, practice makes perfect. And Mm -hmm. after a while, 
Um, I think after building relationships with local vendors, especially, it was so much easier to get through events and through the day. Like if anything ever goes wrong before I'd be panicking, like, who do I talk to about this? Who do I fix? Whereas now it's like, oh, like I have maintenance on speed dial. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly kind of learn and grow and and move in time, but probably different vendors for each event, but it's the same general setup, you know, who's responsible for what, who to go to for each kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So Moving on to how it actually brought me to where I am right now, mm-hmm. um, I ended up accepting the role with 1824. So I was working remotely for them at the same time as my special events coordinator position. And then on the side, I was also working on Diverse World Fashion Magazine. So those were kind of like my three big things in college. Have you always been someone that likes to be really, really busy? Because it sounds like you were insanely busy. <laughs> I was insanely busy, but in ways that it felt very manageable because a lot of the things or a lot of the opportunities that I was in at the time were very flexible. And so it was really on me to fine tune my time management skills and just kind of make it work for my own schedule. So I was um, able to take a lot of my classes online. So one thing that not many people know at Florida State is the Recreation, Tourism, and Events degree actually is its own degree. It's not under the hospitality school, and it's based in their Panama City campus. So a lot of my courses were actually online or um, hybrid, Mm -hmm. which was nice because I was able to kind of work on my own pace in that. And then same with the other two jobs. Like they were hourly and I made my own hours. So it was a lot, but at the end of the day, I feel like if there's anything I learned from all of that, it was just how to make the most use of my time, which Mm -hmm. I think is probably the most valuable thing in any career. Yeah. I mean, it allows you to juggle a lot of things at once, which the more you can juggle, the more you can do with your career. And I did a lot in college and I do looking back regret, you know, not being a part of Greek life and different things like that. But you know, you just have to give and take. Yeah. And I mean, you even compared it to Russian Greek life earlier. It sounds like you just beat your own path through college and found your own fun way to meet people, have fun experiences and go through it and navigate it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I don't think I'd change anything if I went back. Going back to the time management thing, what are some tips that you have for time management that you've picked up over the years? Yeah, I'm a huge, huge, huge lists person. And I love to utilize like the notes app on my phone where basically every day I will just create a heading for that date and kind of figure out all of the to-do list items that I have to check off. And then... Now, are you doing that at the beginning of that day or on the previous day? Usually in that morning of that day, just... While it's fresh. Like at my core, I am an extremely lazy person. And if I could just lay in bed and do absolutely nothing all day, I would. So it's kind of... If you're not motivated, it's very difficult to create motivation. And I think that's something that kind of everyone as a human being might struggle with. So um, just creating lists and doing things in the sense of like looking at a calendar, figuring out, okay, what calls do I have that day? Where are my like free time blocks? And then I'll look at my to-do list and kind of estimate how much time each thing is going to take me and then schedule them into the day. So when I have this alarm go off on my phone that says like, you need to start this task now, Mm -hmm. then I just do that task. So a lot of different alarms and stuff. Yeah. Or not even alarms per se, but I'll just kind of look at my calendar and see like, okay, I'm approaching like this deadline. I need to get this done at this time. And I just find that like, 
if I don't put something on my calendar and schedule it in, it's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So even like the tiniest tasks, like especially when I get really, really overwhelmed and there's way too many things, I'll usually like split everything up into multiple days and then just kind of tackle them by order of importance and how much time it's going to take. Sounds like a really good way to do it. And it's all very tactile. You can see it. You can check things off on your phone. And, and there are some really, like, really incredible like time management templates and stuff online that people like, I think when I first started doing everything in college, I was like way in over my head. And I was like, how the hell did I sign myself up for all of these things? Like, what did I do this for? It was just trial by fire, basically. Yeah, it was trial by fire. But I remember when I first got started and I was trying to find kind of a, a groove that worked for me, I was online all the time, like looking at or watching YouTube videos and downloading all of these self-help templates and stuff of like, what's the best, most efficient way to do this? And how do you manage way too much all the time, all at once? Right. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, that was a lot of great tips. Thank you. So I guess we could move on to the rest of your position at 1824, what some of the duties of that were, how the rest of that played out. Yeah. So working in 1824, I was there for a very transformative time in the company because it was COVID. So yeah. it's kind of interesting learning about how everyone kind of came out of college and got their feet on the ground in their full-time roles when we were in the middle of a global pandemic, which yeah. is insane and yeah. unprecedented. But um, I had a very unique experience. So like in 1824, I was hired as a um, marketing representative, which is just kind of the general term that they use when they hire everyone. Okay. And so once you're hired, you are a marketing rep. Once you kind of have your, again, feet on the ground and you're more adjusted in the position, you then have the opportunity to join different teams. I personally joined the social media team and the press team and the creator partnerships team. So creator partnerships was essentially just influencer campaigns. So we would reach out to people on TikTok, on Instagram and say, Hey, like in exchange for artist merch or tickets, would you be willing to post for their new song coming out? Oh, that's cool. And so we'd reach out and say like, you can post whatever you want, but just use this sound or tag this artist or whatever. Um, so that was pretty fun, but it was extremely time consuming because we would be reaching out to 50 to 100 creators per week. Oh, wow. So it was very exhausting. A lot of spreadsheets, a lot of mm-hmm. copy pasting people's ads and handles and whatever else. And um, the press team was kind of very similar, except instead of influencers, we were reaching out to smaller press outlets and News inviting them to right, inviting them to kind of our smaller press conferences where we'd have artists come on zoom and just take press questions all over zoom, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then the social media team was just running the 1824 social media, which I didn't do too much. This girl named Olivia Winters ran it and she was absolutely incredible. And then I was just kind of on helping respond to DMS and comments and things like that, answer questions as needed. Um, and then as time went on, I was approaching my graduation and we were obviously in the middle of a pandemic. So UMG as a whole actually had a hiring freeze at the time, Oh wow! which sucked for me, yeah. but it ended up working out. So I had discussed with my different management members, which were Frank Hill, Todd Goodwin, West Davenport, love them with my whole heart. And they all knew like from the get go, I want to move to Nashville mm-hmm. and I am absolutely obsessed with Nashville. Like this is where I want to be. Had you come here a lot before you moved here and just knew that you wanted to be here or? That's a good story to kick everything off. Mm -hmm. Um, 
This is quite the story, and it's actually the story that I um, shared in my interview for this job, and it kind of went towards how I got here, why I wanted to be here. So um, when I was nine, my dad passed away from cancer. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Um, but at the funeral, my mom kind of shared with everyone, like, hey, we're about to go through this really rough time. Like, what can we do for Heather? Um, she just lost her dad and I am an only child. So it's just been my mom and I growing up and she asked what I wanted to do kind of in a way to take my mind off of all of the sadness and everything that had just happened. And I had one love and it was music and it was Taylor Swift and I wanted nothing more than to see Taylor Swift live. So for the, what year was it? The 2009 CMA fest here in Nashville, my mom brought me. And we stayed at this little bed and breakfast out of Leaper's Fork and drove into the city, got to see the fest for all that it was. And it was there that I realized that, oh, there's there's more to life outside of Florida. Wow. <laughs> outside of my little Fort Lauderdale suburb. Yeah. No. So I was just completely blown away at such a young age by the city. I loved it so much. I felt so close to my dreams there. And it was in kind of that moment that I realized like, okay, like life at home kind of sucks, but everything's good in Nashville. Like Nashville's mm -hmm. where I'm going to be happy. So even though it was 2009, funny enough, that still kind of propelled me forward for quite literally the rest of my life. And I never really seemed to waver on that goal. So even going through college, I was so focused on going to Belmont. I was so focused on music and kind of knew like no matter how bad things might get, you still have the opportunity to up and leave and move to Nashville and follow your dreams because the city is so full of creative minds and just hopefulness and talent. An opportunity. Yeah, insane talent too. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go see live music any day of the week, just walk outside. Yeah, we've been here all weekend and I've been blown away by all the live music. It's a different place. It's a different living experience. And there's just such a, a hopefulness and creativeness that's in the city that's unlike anything else. And a lot of people compare it to LA in that sense, but LA is, in my opinion, mean. And Nashville is not everyone we've met here has just been so friendly it's just a tangibly friendly atmosphere and you mentioned la i feel like it's a little different because there you're kind of focused on all kinds of stuff movies tv some music all kinds of stuff but here it's just very very music focused which is interesting no absolutely and so coming here it really does feel like home like you can feel mm. like you can just relax and be yourself and let your ideas out because everybody else on the street is yeah. So it's a really cool place to be, and I kind of never really looked away from it. So my senior year of college, I actually did get accepted to Belmont and was very close to going. I toured and everything, but at the last second, um, realized I was offered a full ride to Florida State through the Bright Future Scholarship. So, I mean, that was perfect, and mm -hmm. I couldn't turn down free college. So yeah. it's just kind of how it played out. And it was in between like, okay, do I go to Belmont? Do I major in music business? Or do I go to Florida State, graduate debt free? And they have club down under. So mm -hmm. I would still be a little close to the music scene. And it ended up working out in my benefit by far, because now that I'm here in Nashville, and I realize the competitiveness of the city, I mean, that 1824 position, they have, you know, five, 600 applicants. And in Tallahassee, I mean, no one really knows about it. Mm -hmm. So up there, the way that I kind of would explain it is I'd just be another fish in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, I'm kind of 
the only fish in the pond. Yeah, and you've got a very unique experience to draw upon now, having gone through that. And another thing that that brings to mind is just the the sheer importance of learning by actually getting involved and in doing things that you went through. I feel like with you know going to Belmont, like you mentioned, if you had done that, it's a degree in music. It's all very theoretical, and I'm sure that would have prepared you very well as well. But doing what you did, getting involved in the actual events, planning and all of that probably ended up preparing you better than any degree really could have ultimately. Right. Yeah. And I honestly cannot agree with that more. <laughs> like that's kind of exactly how I how I view it all and how I'm so grateful looking back and, and realizing that I'm. I'm just really glad that I stuck to the decisions that I made. So we've kind of talked about your background and some of the positions that got you to where you are today. Let's transition into talking about your current position with Universal Music Group. I'm curious how you got it, as well as what the transition from the previous position looked like and some of the day-to-day things that you're doing now and what that's looked like so far. Yeah. So kind of picking up on the last story I was kind of sharing for 1824, um, I shared with all of the management that I was so drawn to Nashville for that reason. It's a very beautiful story, by the way. It's very inspiring that you got to have such a transformative experience so young and just always be able to fall back on that and let it lead you to where you are today. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely still a lot of challenges I go through with, you know, I mean, losing my dad so young. And um, in one of my favorite comedies by Taylor Tomlinson, I repeat this probably way too often inappropriately, but um, I just say like nobody who's really accomplished anything huge has had a perfect life. And in her words, like, would I be here if I had a live dad? No, absolutely not. So I can relate to that too. Unfortunately, having lost my dad last year, it's a very earth shattering thing. And it does really shake up your world in a way that I think you don't necessarily experience if you haven't gone through something that difficult. And it can really be monumentally influential in the direction that your life goes and the direction that you go. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so, so sorry for your loss too. And, um, at least for me, I feel like it kind of gave purpose to all of the decisions I was making. And some of the things that have kind of stuck is thinking about how now, I mean, as my dad's only child, like I am kind of carrying on his legacy. So all I can think about is, you know, what would I do that would make him proud and, um, so everything that I have accomplished career-wise, like I just kind of give it up to God and, and think that, you know, just making people proud up there. But um, getting this, this role, so I told everyone at 1824 Nashville, and once there was a hiring freeze due to COVID, um, Wes Davenport is the Nashville representative for 1824, and he kind of took me under his wing, and I was kind of in this assistant role for him where I was so focused on just Nashville projects and kind of being his right-hand man to um, really just help out wherever I could. So he started adding me to these bi-weekly meetings between 1824 with UMG Nashville. I started um, meeting more people in the building. And then once the marketing coordinator opportunity became available within the building, when the hiring freeze was finally up, which by the way, was 10 months later. So I was in this position of having graduated, still working part-time in a role that I wasn't supposed to even be in because it was meant for a college student and just kind of holding on for dear life for 10 months. And 
I applied actually to, um, well, I was pretty much applying to any role that became available. So I did apply for this D2C role, which is e-commerce, and ended up not hearing back and was extremely discouraged from that, but realized it was all. Worked out for the best. And it actually did work out for the best because even though I didn't get that role, I ended up um, getting in connection with the hiring managers because I did get to go through the interview process for that. So once I was kind of in communications with HR, I had their emails, they knew who I was. I just kept reaching out saying like, hey, like, I'm not applying anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Like this is the only job that I'm applying to. So if this isn't the one for me, like that's totally fine. Of course, find the person that's going to be best suited for the role, but just know that my name's not going to stop coming in through your applicant pool and you're not going to stop receiving emails. So every couple of weeks, like again, I would reach out and say, Hey, like this is what I've done like with West this week at 1824. Like this is what I'm working on. Just letting you know, here's my update for the time being. And it eventually paid off because when the marketing role became open, they actually didn't even post it online. They just reached out. Wow. And um, within like two weeks, I was hired. That's and awesome. so I started March 1st of 2021 and was in the marketing role from then until about two weeks ago to when I just switched departments to um, promotion, which is radio under EMI records. Congrats, by the way. Thank you awesome. so much. Yeah. I think it's, um, a much better fit for me just for my personality and with my background and I'm absolutely loving it so far. Um, but under marketing, cause that is what I have more experience with and can kind of talk about more. Um, I worked on, um, a lot of different, pretty large artists, which was such an insane opportunity going from, you know, just interning and working on smaller, like local artists, a lot of up and coming bands to now being fully just thrown into the largest label in the world. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot to kind of take in. I definitely had bad imposter syndrome, still kind of do, doesn't make sense how I made it in this building. Um, but, um, the way that at least the marketing department works is UMG has all of their artists. There are four ADs, which stands for artist development, and they all handle all marketing operations for their roster. And each AD has a roster of like 13, nine to 13, and altogether they make up the entirety of UMG Nashville. So there are like four quarters, basically. Real quick, I wanna go back to something you said before, kind of touch on that a little bit deeper. You mentioned having imposter syndrome at a point, and I feel like this particular point is not talked about enough. You know, I can think back to a lot of points that I personally have had imposter syndrome throughout my career. And I just want to take a second to say, I think that if you are not experiencing those moments, you're just not pushing yourself hard enough. I think you should be hitting those points where you're a little uncomfortable and you feel a little bit like an imposter in what you're doing. Because ultimately, I've found at least that it's those moments that really push you to be better, do better, transform what you're currently doing and, and just push yourself a little bit more. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that you were able to go through those points and overcome them on the way to where you're at now and probably still will go through more of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's such an interesting topic, really. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because I feel like everybody who has imposter syndrome or has had or whatever, just 
always like work so hard to get there. Mm -hmm. And at least talking to my friends, it's funny because I feel like we're all pretty like down to earth people. And it's always like those down to earth people that seem to experience it the most, which is so funny. So I'm still like very much in shock every day that I have to walk in through like that lobby up that elevator into this floor. Like it is just so incredible. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. But I think getting through it was kind of just faking it till I make it mm -hmm. and wearing blazers to work and high heels <laughs> kinds of helps and you know just throw your shoulders back and acting like you belong there and that's so kind of what I've been doing but um yeah so uh got hired in the marketing department there are the four quarters of the department broken down into ADs I was um a coordinator for an AD. So there's like the four ADs, each one has a coordinator and then each coordinator AD combo has like nine to 13 artists. So mine were Alan Jackson, Billy Currington, Dirk Spentley, Dylan James, Cassie Ashton, John Langston, Sam Hunt, and Maddie and Tay. That's a major lineup. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was, I've seen um, a few of them live. They're awesome. Yeah. Sam Hunt, Dirk Spentley. Oh yeah. Sam Hunt and Dirks were definitely two of my favorites. So um, getting to work on their projects was honor that huge honor honestly and just like i'm still pinching myself over it it's kind of crazy and now over at emi um i'm on alan jackson brothers osborne eric church tyler hubbard and chrissy metz and i'm still new so i'm still learning <laughs> um but yeah i mean huge names and yeah. it's so cool to see like what goes on behind the scenes so at least in marketing my job was to basically create a compile of everything that was going on for that artist at the time so our work schedule isn't a normal nine to five like we go through seasons where it's a lot busier and it's a lot lighter and probably around their release schedules to a degree exactly yeah mm -hmm. so how busy you are kind of depends on how many releases you have coming up yeah. and you know there's a single and there's albums there's eps there's just projects there's so many different things that um kind of happen and release and then on top of that we also would manage all of their videos and like their youtube post content and like TikTok and there's just so much there's like digital and streaming and all of it and in marketing you're kind of in the center of it just making sure that all of the cogs in the machine are turning properly basically mm -hmm. so if there's anything that is um like if we're approaching a deadline and let's say we need some cover art for a single that's coming out two weeks from then and we need it to circulate to all DSPs, which is digital streaming platforms, AKA Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora. I would basically be in charge of, you know, reaching out to the management team saying, hey, like where's this cover art? Or let's say we're designing it in house. Like I would double check with our creative team and make sure that they're on track for everything. So, I mean, my entire coordinator position was really just communicating with all of the other departments, making sure everyone's job was getting done properly and on time. And it was a really, really satisfying job, and I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. And yeah. It reminds me of the event coordinating that you did during your time in college because it's really about coordinating with all the different departments and making sure that everything can kind of flow smoothly, come together, and go the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. So it was a pretty direct parallel between mm -hmm. the two. And now over in my role at EMI, I mean, a lot of it has to do with booking travel and it's a lot more um, direct to artist 
type of communication where now I'm working a lot more closely with artist management teams, making sure that their um, information like hotels and whatever travel is booked for any of their upcoming showcases with radio stations across the nation. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm still learning crazy amounts every single day, but it's kind of different every day, mm -hmm. depending on what's going on. And especially with artist releases, that kind of determines our schedule of when we work and how much we work. It's, it really varies. Now, another thing that you had mentioned that we talked about a little bit off air that I really wanted to dive into a little bit more is the radio release schedules and how you work with those, how the different time periods go throughout the week, kind of the period from Friday over the weekend through Monday. I forget exactly what you were saying, but could you get into that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So, and again, I'm still very new to this, but at least what I have pieced together so far is on Fridays, um, it's a song's ship date, which mm. means it's being shipped to usually digital streaming platforms as well as um, radio on these Fridays. And then radio will sit with it throughout the weekend. So Saturday, Sunday, whatever. And then come Monday, which is today, it's our ad day. So essentially these radio stations have now sat with the music. They've lived with it. They see how it's performing and streaming and they have the opportunity to add it to their station. And the way that, or what an ad means is, um, there's a certain number of spins for a record. So seven spins equals an ad. So if a radio station plays a song seven times in that week, that means they've added it. Okay. And so all of that contributes to like the billboard and the media base charts. And if you're not familiar with media base, it's essentially the same thing as billboard charting, um, just two different, slightly algorithmic platforms. And you mentioned before that it's kind of a point system with those. So I'd say, um, I like to compare it most to the Electoral College in the sense that there are different stations for different regions, of course, and the bigger regions that have more listeners, like bigger cities, let's say like Miami, San Antonio, New York, stuff like that, is going to have way more points weighted mm -hmm. than a smaller, like, little city radio station, mm -hmm. you know, like a local station, something like that. So, um if a station in one of the bigger markets plays a song, it's going to have more points than if, you know, a smaller station would. And these points are actually what contribute to a song's ranking on the Billboard chart. And that's how songs are considered to be number one or platinum, gold, whatever, all of that kind of thing. And um, those are all certified through the Recording Industry of America, RIAA. I don't even know. So those points all kind of come together to determine how a song ranks overall for the RAA that you mentioned? Right. So basically our job in radio promo is kind of sales in the sense that we have these relationships with these radio stations and we're calling them up and saying, hey, like, we need you to play this song at this time to get this many points. So it's this number on the on the chart. Wow. And of course, everyone wants their song to be number one, but the radio stations will come back with us and come back to us with their research. And research is something I'm still really learning about, but it's deeply interesting. It's essentially um, a percentage of the population is given a monitor, basically, that watches what they're listening to on radio and for how long and what station and what songs. And research is sent out on, like, let's say you get 
this audio track and you don't know who it's by or what it is, you essentially fill out a survey saying like, is this artist recognizable? Do you like the song? Do you not like the song? Similar to those little surveys that pop up before a YouTube video that you fill out? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you would take the survey and all of that information goes back to the radio station. That research is then used to kind of back up a song's placement. So let's say a radio station is spinning Tyler Hubbard's record five foot nine, you know, 60 times or something in the week. They're going to say, yeah, we're playing it so much because the research came back really well. Like this is what the fans want. Like this is what it's doing on streaming. Whereas let's say John Langston's backwards is not researching well. Like all these people are saying they don't know who this artist is. They're not as interested in it. And so those stations can come back to us and say, Hey, I'm sorry. Like, I know you want us to play this track, but it's not researching well. And we can't really argue with that. So it is kind of like a system of checks and balances and it's, it's fair. And it really is like user decided, which is why the, like the billboard charts are very like legitimate in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's really like what the people want to hear. And, um, yeah, I, hope I never knew there was it. that much data and that much feedback that went into it. Oh, there's a ridiculous amount of, of data, and there's so much more I could even get into on streaming alone with how much they're really pulling from um, just the different streaming platforms and seeing all of the metri- metrics on songs that come in. It's very interesting. That's insane. I had no idea that it went that deep, but it makes sense because in your position, you've got to be able to measure those things and figure out what's working for the general public, what people like, so that you can kind of double down on those things that do work and benefit the artists in that way. I have another question I want to ask you that I ask in every interview, and it's essentially this. If you were able to travel back in time and just talk to a young, wide-eyed, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed Heather that was just you know Taylor Swift on the mind, ready to go, and just give her some of the knowledge that you have picked up throughout your career now, what are a couple things that you would do differently going through the experiences you've had so far? So I think I'm really proud of myself for how I kind of went from one opportunity to the next. And a lot of that was kind of dependent on fate and just the doors that opened at the time. So I think going back, would I have made any different decisions? I don't think so. But if I could tell myself anything, it's to stay kind. And the music industry especially is, is tough to get into. I mean, it is like a dog eat dog world. And unfortunately in a lot of different industries, not just music, I mean, you unfortunately find yourself in these positions where you might have to, I don't want to say step on other people to push yourself up, but let's say you're competing for the same interview as a friend of yours or something at the end of the day, like it, it sucks. And you'd still have to just remain humble and think, just God and and anyone for the opportunities that you have, but also remember that you earned them. And no matter how much success you achieve or no matter how happy you are in your career, it's not an excuse to treat anyone poorly around you or to lose any kind of um, kindness and softness. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people in this industry who will come in like doe-eyed and bushy-tailed and everyone's here for the same reason. They love music. But unfortunately, there are a lot of politics in the industry as well. And so it's kind of tough to um, go through the industry without having to um, kind of morph who you are in your character. I mean, you definitely take a lot of shit. You have to develop thick skin, but you can't let it really affect who you are in your core. Otherwise, no one's going to want to work with you. So I think just 
taking the time that is necessary to work on yourself as an individual outside of work is so important so you can go into work with your best foot forward and with the best attitude that you can because no one's going to want to work with you if you have a bad attitude. So It's very true. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think love that. that's kind of like the biggest thing I'd say. Just treat everybody around you like they can do something for you and you can do something for them and you probably can. So play the game, but do it kindly and stay true to yourself and continue working on yourself while you do it. Being honest, honestly, is the biggest. So. Well, Heather, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a ton about the music industry and I've been honestly really, really impressed by what you've done in your career so far and just how you got here. Really appreciate you sharing that all with me. Another thing I want to mention before we sign off here is that Heather, you do your own music and I will be providing links to any applicable places that you can find anything about her music into the description of the video if you're watching on YouTube and the show notes if you're listening on any podcasting platforms. Cool. So look out for that. Check out anything that Heather's doing. I've heard some of her music and it's great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And this has been Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vinson, and my wonderful guest has been Heather Carpenter of Universal Music Group, as well as her own musical ventures. Thanks again for watching or listening, and until next time, signing off. Thanks so much for tuning into Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vinson. Stay tuned for new episodes every week and short clips of deep dives into specific topics that I put out on different social media channels. We can be found on YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, all major podcast platforms. You can find my guest in the details of this video or podcast. And if you happen to know a young standout business owner, professional, or entrepreneur that you would think would be a good fit for profession session, DM me or get in contact with me anywhere and just let me know. And they could be the next to tell their story here. Until next time, again, this has been Profession Session. Stay focused, stay hustling, and stay networking.